0: Hi, everybody. My name is Denise Pawarshi. I am the chair of the English department at the University of Washington in Seattle. You're listening to our dialogue series, Literature, Language, Culture, which invites members of our community to share insights around their research and teaching, exploring the ways that our work contributes to how we experience and seek to understand this time of global crisis and change. If you would like to watch a video version of this conversation, you can find it on YouTube For a transcript of this audio dialogue, you can follow the link in this podcast's description labeled Transcript of Episode. Thank you to Lee Scheingold for her generous support of the series. Gifts from our department donors make projects like these possible. We hope you enjoy, and please leave us a review over on iTunes. Thanks for joining this conversation, and I hope you join us for future talks.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to the Literature, Language, Culture, a dialogue series from the Department of English at the University of Washington. Today we have special guest with us, scholar, educator, Stephanie. Stephanie, will you introduce yourself? Sure. Um,
2: My name is Stephanie Clare. I work in in queer and feminist studies in philosophy, literature, and science studies.
1: And can you let our different viewers and listeners know what they'll kind of learn-ish by the end of the episode?
2: What I'm interested in is whether we could imagine forms of queer care, and and I'm especially interested in the question of queer care in this contemporary moment of um, Black Lives Matter meets um, (laughs) COVID-19, and I think that this is a moment that requires and that calls for practices
1: of care. Thank you so much. Um, If you're listening to this on the podcast edition, there's a link to the YouTube version in the description of the show notes and vice versa. If you're watching this and you prefer podcast versions, there's a link in the description. I will add that both versions, you'll find a link to a reading list. Um, you know, Stephanie was kind enough to cover a lot of topics and texts, so we'll have that available to you if you want to read further about it. And the YouTube version, if you're listening, we'll have some of those pop up on the screen as well. And then the English department does have some new social channels that you can kind of keep up with the project on. It's at UW for Twitter and Instagram. And then Facebook the same, just no underscore. Um, so hopefully we can be in further dialogue with you there and of course like and subscribe let us know in the comments what your thoughts are and i hope you all enjoy this episode What did you bring to talk about with us today? I brought um, the
2: novel uh, by Imogen Beanie called Nevada, a contemporary novel featuring a white trans woman in New York City whose life kind of falls apart and it's not a hopeful novel. It actually starts like this is not a happy novel, (laughs) Um, but I think it's actually a great text for thinking about the present moment and for thinking about what queer studies needs in the future.
1: Why this text, and why do you think Queer Studies needs it right now?
2: Queer theory emerges as, like, a critique of everything normal, right? And of a critique of, like, heterosexuality like, taken as normal, as the normative, as the gender binary is normative. Heterosexuality and the gender binary has been mobilized in the production of racial inequality and racial difference as well, and then challenging those regimes of normativity as well, okay? So that's that's kind of like, when people talk about queer studies, queer studies is this anti-normative position, and it's against, like, homo-normativity, um, so normativities of gay-lesbian lines um, Against cis-normativity. So, okay, so normativity over and over and over again. And I, I think that's really important and I don't want to take away from that, but one of the things that this novel brings is what allows for the thriving of lives. And it's not only being anti-normative. The, the main character has all these anti-normative positions and yet she's having trouble eating, she's having trouble accessing healthcare, she's having trouble sleeping, and she doesn't have a language where building communities of care might be something that's political and that might be important. And she's clearly searching for that, I think. So what I like about this text is that it shows the limits of anti-normativity and it brings that at a time of both covid and also at, at this point of juncture between like the pandemic and and the resurgence of black lives matter where the question of normativity even being anti-normativity becomes less clear
1: a couple of questions Yeah. They're kind of in any order so one thing that i think might help from this outset is if we sort of If you talk about how you're defining normative in this scenario, so when people hear anti-normative or that's normative, how that maybe departs from normal, right, and what normativity means.
2: Let's start by defining the normative. And that's actually hard. I think that it's a term that's used over and over again in queer studies and in queer theory, rarely defined, um... regimes of normativity are generally understood as institutions set of like common sense understanding as well so like ideology ideology and institutional practices that value particular people behaviors or traits and part of valuing them is often by calling them normal or seeing them as average or even not necessarily recognizing them as something, you know, they they become the status of the universal and everything else is seen as different from it, outside of it, but it itself is not the focus. And I think one of the things that's confusing in queer studies is that we have talked about being anti-normative, and yet one of the ways that normativity works is by understanding that there's a range of behaviors, practices, people and identities. You don't have normativity without difference. So normativity is actually not about trying to make everyone the same so much as about giving different value to difference. And that, I think, often gets missed. I think often when people understand normativity, they say, oh, like, you know, what we have to do is like just assert our individuality, right? (laughs) And we're going to critique normativity. But normativity is not about like you you can't be anti-normative by 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 holding on to the individual it's rather by critiquing the
1: valuation the differential valuation of of difference can you give like an example of what it looks like to shift from anti-normative only valuing individual to that kind of more valuing differently?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm going to go with Susan Stryker because I just have been teaching a trans studies class and she has an early essay from the early 90s, My Words to Victor Frankenstein, where she's trans and she recognizes herself as having been positioned as similar to the monster in Frankenstein. And rather than reject that, she inhabits it, the position of the monster and sees it as a position from which she can speak and the position from which she can speak is that or what 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 does the monster say the monster says that what you take as naturalism is in fact just as constructed as me and that i am speaking from the chaos of nature beyond that construction or on the other side of that construction at least so that's an example where she's not just insisting on Her uniqueness or her difference from the norm, she's valuing the position, and she's speaking from that position that ends the narratives that the normal says about itself.
1: So if we're talking about care, and I want to make sure that since you touch on some really rich theory, people can read up further right, Um, that we also talk about a book or something that you think helps illustrate what you're saying, what you have to say about care. I'm going to
2: start with Kai Cheng Cheng Tong's novel, Your Spem's Notorious Liars, a confabulous trans girl's memoir. It's a novel that talks actually quite a lot about care. And actually, that's very relevant to this contemporary moment. A, A trans girl moves to a city, and in that city, she finds a community of other trans women, especially trans women of color. She's Asian North American. And what happens is that there's a murder of one of the members of their community is killed. And there's, you know, no justice is found. And uh, at this community center, they have like a really big debate of like, what are we going to do? And they decide to, to take to the streets. And there's, there's a group of them. It, it kind of breaks up. But there's a group and the protagonist is part of that group that decides that they're going to fight back and try to take back their neighborhood and their street and insist on no more violence, okay? Through the means of violence. And they end up kind of accidentally killing a police officer. And through that, they themselves, especially the main character, she herself collapses. (laughs) So the the organization collapses and, and she collapses. And what happens? Well, she comes to bake a cake. She bakes a cake, the smell of the cake goes throughout the air, all over the place. Everyone can smell the cake, and then they organize a spoken word night, and a night of storytelling, where trans women are performing for trans women as well, because it's in a scene where often they're performing for others and for pay. And that is really healing, and what I find so interesting about the text is that it is showing that spectacular modes of resistance And even violence and in part what is valorized in the text are these practices of care that are not about like self-care and like let me just go meditate, they are, Clearly, like, you know, about developing community, about fostering modes of, of living together. And there's one kind of elder of the community is, who's like opening her house for people who are homeless, and that is a practice of care. And it's been a really important practice of care in the history of like trans politics on the ground, like a Star, for instance, housing homeless trans youth, gender non conforming youth was a really important part of their project. And you see that. And that is political, right? So I think the novel is. You know, upholding practices of care and calling for practices of care. In feminism, in feminist theory, care was something that was really written a lot about, especially in the 1980s, starting with Carol Gilligan's work where she argued that moral reasoning has been modeled on masculinist values that really value independence and justice and applying the rational, objective values to everyone in this kind of non-specific way. What she was arguing was that actually women practice other forms of moral reasoning that are more attuned with, like, practice that we can understand as practices of care. Her work is interesting, it's also super limited. But this, in this current moment, I'm actually suddenly bringing myself like, back to it and trying to revisit it. One of the things she talks about in relation to care is that care requires an attentiveness to another. It requires this moment of listening and understanding. Care is not necessarily infantilizing. Good care is precisely not. Care is not something that just happens once and for all. It requires like ongoing work and ongoing relationships.
1: thinking about if you'd be willing to talk about like how this kind of emphasis on thinking about other modes of care come to back to these questions of like the anti-normative, like queer communities and trans communities and like Black Lives Matter and all of that.
2: I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction though. So in queer studies and one thing that I think is interesting is that we talked a lot about queer kinship. The text that we often turn to is Half Weston's Text Families We Choose. It's a ethnography of gay and lesbian people living in San Francisco or in the Bay Area. And what she argues is that queer people that are families are families that, that are chosen and they're not dictated by blood. And so she comes up with that phrase like chosen family, or she doesn't come up with it, but writes about that phrase chosen family. Queer kinship has been seen as valuing non-normative family structures, but also valuing like Friendship and multiple different kinds of relationships, and seeing those, those relationships are valid, that they are life sustaining, that they are important. Cath uh, Weston's work comes around the same time as Carol Sacks' work which is a study of African-American practices of kinship. And it's emerging in the 1980s at a moment where there was a racist discourse used to legitimize the dismantling of the welfare state that argued that that the African-American family is not strong and that Black men are not doing their role, you know, doing their job in the family. And so it used like an argument that African-American families are non-normative and, you know, family values are not normative and hence ought to be punished or not, valued or cared for actually, right? Quite quite literally, right? What I find interesting is that in queer studies, we've written a lot about queer kinship. David Eng's work is fantastic on that question as well, but often we don't talk about it in terms of queer care and it's talked about in relation to kinship. Kinship is produced obviously in part through practices of care. So the two are not separate, but it's interesting the term kinship has taken hold, whereas care has a lot less. And I think in part, It has to do with how care has been connected, has been feminized, and how care is less easily understood as anti-normative because care sometimes requires the repetition of the same over and over and over again for a form of sustenance. Whereas queer kinship, we can say like, look, these relationships are non-normative and they're fantastic, and they are. I don't, you know, at all I don't want to take that away from us. But it, there's almost some inherent tension between the term queer and the term care. And it's so ironic as, as you're bringing up because practices of care, were called for and central in the context of AIDS, HIV/AIDS, and it's that very context I think that I locate the emergence of queer politics. So it's ironic that we've turned away from the importance of care.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is something that literature can offer, um, and the humanities maybe can offer as we as we look for hope, right? And all these different moments is different frameworks for caring for each other, right? That might not repeat the same type of violence. I'm thinking about how in the book you mentioned that the transformed moment was actually the cake being baked and the smell of the cake and this very like, I agree, like very much feminized type of labor, totally, right? Um, But it was actually that kind of um, care act that seems to catalyze a lot of momentum for the community flourishing. Yeah, and I actually,
2: I want to say that like, I also see the role of the humanities as, uh, I like to understand my teaching itself as a practice of care and that we read these texts as in part like um, caring for our archives, you know, Um, uh, but also caring for one another and, and having moments of being able to discuss um, humanistic, I, just being able to discuss our lives, our, our loves, our losses, um, giving space for um, emotional and intellectual dialogue, I think, is a practice of care, and I was so heartened. One of my students—I don't know if I can say his name—who's um, wants to organize, who's organizing like a queer reading group for this summer, um, and that's one of the things that he's moving forward from our class with. And there were several students who wanted to join. I love teaching uh, queer and trans studies um, because it allows for intergenerational discussions of queer and trans politics in a way that's also not just like one-liners on like Instagram or Face Facebook or whatever, <laughs> um, in the ways that we like really have conversations together. I see that as like meaningful forms of, you know, of kinship even, but, but as practices of care and how that can move outside of academia too. But I think that like film, fiction, poetry can all form, it. it, it they provide moments of great